The world's greatest role-playing game, The Zine, is a zine dedicated to supporting the fifth edition of the world's most popular role-playing game, but with an indie spin. Created by Jen Adcock from Gnome Stew and Todd Crapper, who is not from the Gnome Stew, but would love a shot if ever given a chance. WGRG, The Zine. And that sounds an awful lot like WKRP in Cincinnati, but it's totally not. It's WGRG The Zine. This zine looks to bring some of the great indie mechanics and story game ideas that have been circulating along the fringes of the market and merge themselves with 5th edition's adaptable rules set. With your support on Kickstarter from October 29th to November 27th, you can help us create investigation mechanics, relationship and social conflict rules, even a metagame of players taking on the role of fictional characters playing 5th edition using Power by the Apocalypse rules. Yes, you heard me correctly. Those are fictional characters playing 5th edition using Power by the Apocalypse rules. That's because with this scene, anything is possible. It's the world's greatest role-playing game, The Zine, on Kickstarter now. Get down with D&D. 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 Are you ready to get down with some D&D? I know I am, and I am joined, as I am always joined, by the magnificent, mature, and mirthful Mad Wizard Merwin. Hey, buddy, what's going on, Sean? I am awake still at 9 o'clock at night. It's an unusual Monday evening recording for us, not a Saturday morning. Because I'm going to be in Orlando when we normally record. Also, um, I'm doing like a detective day thing that when we're supposed to be normally recording to running around the city of Buffalo oh, looking like, for clues. That sounds like fun. Yeah, a little AR action. Alter, uh, what is it? The, the AR augmented is reality. Aug- augmented reality. Thank you. Nice. Yes. See, every what? day is a day I'm searching for clues, so I don't. <laughs> yes, That's funny. Yes. Uh, Humor. All right. Now that you've gotten our intro and our minute of silliness, let's get into announcements. Hey, I guess D&D Beyond has an encounter builder in beta testing? Yeah, it was up for just people who were subscribers to test, and they have recently put it into beta testing for anyone. So you don't have to be a subscriber. You don't have to pay. You can just go and you can try it out. It, well, isn't that special? It, yes, it is. It's very nice. I've started testing it. I haven't gotten too deep into it, but what I've seen so far seems really cool. Um Think of if you you've if you've used Cobalt Club to create encounters in the past. Think about that, but just with kind of more oomph behind it. So you can sort through monsters, add them to encounters. Then you can name and save those encounters. Um, when you're sorting through monsters, there's all kinds of filters you can use. Um, you can set the number of characters and the level of those characters, and you can even do it by individual characters. So you can say, I have one third-level character. I have two fourth-level characters and three fifth-level characters. Show me what my um, budget should be for experience points for encounters. So that's really cool. Well, uh, that's really neat. Yeah. You can uh, name them, save those encounters. You see the difficulties. It'll tell you how much XP you have to work with for an adventuring day, and then broken down by encounters if, you know, which is deadly, which is hard, you know, which is medium, and so on. And then you can also add text summary, uh, details, and treasure. So it's still got a lot of features that I would love to see added, such as pulling from their treasure database to put treasure directly into the encounter and, you know, sort through treasure that way like you can monsters. 
something I'm sure that they can do. They're maybe just not quite there yet. And maybe the feature's there and I just didn't see it. But if you are a writer, a DM who build encounters, go check it out. Then they have a survey that you can take after you use it to give them some feedback. So it's looking pretty good. And I'm hoping that this is just a first step in a long list of things that will be coming for D&D Beyond. I hope so. That would be really cool. Yeah, like, be. that sounds like a really nifty tool. Yeah. All right. Uh, I guess GameholeCon is on its way. By the time you hear this, it might be over. You never know. We don't, we're a couple episodes ahead, but if this drops before October 31st, then hey, guess what? GameholeCon is coming very soon. Uh, in Madison, Wisconsin, we're going to have a lot of great D&D and Adventures League stuff running there, as well as an enormous amount of panels and other things uh, going on. The Oracle of War Eberron Adventures League campaign will get its uh, premiere of its preview there. So if you like that, come play the four-hour four adventures plus one epic that we are uh, unleashing there. Sean, you know what else is going to be there? What else? Brett Belinsky of yeah. Gaming and BS. Also, Sean and Brett will have a number of copies on hand of the Streets of Avalon. That's true. So if you to to sell, so if you can find him, you can pick up a copy if you haven't gotten one yet. Yep. I'm hoping to play a game with him, and if I can't find time to play a game, at least share a drink with the man, the myth, the legend. Yeah, and regardless, if you're at GameholeCon, just stop by and say hi and tell him Chris sent you. Yep. Or Sean, mm -hmm. you know. But Sean will be there, so you can just say hi to Sean. That's right. Please do, by the way. If you see me walking around and looking lost, just say hi. That'll help me figure out where I am. Yeah, send your selfies with the Mad Wizard Merwin to at Misdirected Mark on Twitter. There you go. Even better. We want to see him. Mm -hmm. Hashtag Mad Wizard. There you go. Uh, Xanathar's Enemies and Allies was updated. This is uh, This was from our, from the former Dragon Lord of D&D, &D, still the Dragon Lord of D&D &D in our hearts, Robert Dorgan. Well, it, it, uh, Robert, Robert saved my bacon. So the Gilded Depths put out a, a product called Xanathar's Enemies and Allies, which had NPCs for all of the subclasses that were in Xanathar's, uh, Guide to Everything. Uh-huh. And when we put out the product... I didn't realize that we were missing four of the NPCs that we had created. They just, they were in a different document and we got our versioning oh. mis mixed, mis uh, mixed up. Yeah, misdirected Mark words. That's right. So I didn't realize this and people kept saying things like, why is this missing? And I looked at my version and said this, it's there. Why is, why are, why, why are people saying this? And finally, Robert Dorgan, friend of the show, reached out to me and said, hey, here's here's a list of things that are wrong. So I finally went and I looked at the correct, incorrect version and realized that the incorrect version was the one that was up. So that gave us the opportunity just today to fix everything that needed to be fixed, get the new NPCs in there, and get it out to everyone who's bought it. So if, cool. if you've purchased it already, it, it came out several months ago. If you've purchased it already, you can go get the new version on the DMs Guild. If you haven't purchased it yet, please consider it. Um, it's been getting great reviews, even with the missing content. Um, it has a ton of NPCs, you know, humanoid-type NPCs that you can use as, as the title says, enemies or allies. And now there's four more that you can use. So give it a, give it a little glance if, you, uh, if you're into such things. You know, this is the kind of book that I would love to see translated over to D&D Beyond so all those NPCs could be part of the monster archive. This is true. Yeah, that's a great idea. 
I'd love to see that. Hey, who can do that for us over there mm. at, you know, D&D Beyond? It'd be great to know. It would. Um, so that's all of that stuff. Let's get into our main topic for the day. Sound like a good idea? Let's do that. Okay, we're going to talk about Descent into Avernus. This is our second part of this series. We're going to talk about uh, Chapter 1, A Tale of Two Cities. Sean, this is spoilerific. Totally spoilers. If you don't want to be spoiled on this, please just stop listening. Thank you for downloading the podcast. Please stop listening. Yeah. However, if you're a DM or someone who is considering DMing it in the future, or if you love to have your adventure spoiled before you play, then keep listening. Because we're going to try to give you some tips, tricks, some... Uh, some insight into the design of the adventure. Yes, absolutely. Um, and I actually really took a pretty deep look at a lot of the stuff so far. Mm-hmm. We're probably not going to get through all of the first chapter. It's a huge chapter. Yeah, it is. We're going to try to get through the uh, the entirety of the... There's a dungeon in there, the dungeon of the three. So we'll try to get through that. Yep, we're going to try to get through what covers the first and second levels of the character's uh, adventure. Which you will probably not survive the first and the second levels of this adventure. I'm just throwing that out there. Yeah, the, there is, there might be some tweaks that need to be made. Yeah. So um, first things first, let's talk about all the problems that are going on in Baldur's Gate when this adventure starts. So one, the Flaming Fist is leaderless. That's a huge problem because the Flaming Fist are a bunch of a bunch of thugs, mm-hmm. and without their leader, they're even more thug-like. Right. Um, there is a bunch of murders being committed and people being abducted and their bodies being cast off. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a ton of refugees in from Eltergard. Mm-hmm. And then there's a lot of people that are fear-mongering the idea that Baldur's Gate is going to be the next city to suffer Elturel's fate, mm-hmm. which is actually true. This, Yeah, the fear is not unfounded, even yeah, though they may not understand why. Correct. So the beginning scene is at the Basilisk Gate. You are kind of hanging out outside of the city trying to get through the Basilisk Gate. Mm-hmm. Is that correct? That is the opening scene. So here's where I want to want to talk about um, if you're a DM, how you might want to handle this, because the opening box text is quite long and it basically dumps a bunch of information on the players. And one piece of that information is, by the way, you were drafted by the Flaming Fist to help protect the city and drafted in this case means whether you want to be or not. Uh huh. So. If you are going to be DMing this, make sure you have a session zero. Make yes. sure that you tie your characters as best you can into the life of this city. Not just for the reasons that Chris mentioned, because there's all this great background and, and chaos is beginning to reign in an already already chaotic city. But you want your players to have that buy-in so when they are conscripted basically to help the flaming fist keep peace in the city um they don't instantly just say no yeah we don't want so so sean is right the session zero thing is right and the thing that you just have to say is look this adventure assumes that you are drafted by the flaming fist to help protect the city Mm -hmm. if you are not into that we can't play this game Mm -hmm. like that is that is straight up right there that's what it is right if you're going to fight against that then just don't play the campaign because that's not what they're asking you to do. Like, you have to start there. Right. There has to be this buy-in. And if the players aren't willing to buy in, then they're probably not willing to buy in a lot of the things that are that's coming in this adventure. So cut your losses right now. Yeah. So really, you can just ask, like, all right, you're going to be drafted by the Flaming Fist. 
how are they getting leverage on you? Are you just volunteering for this? Mm-hmm. Give me a reason as you as your character are going to be drafted by the Flaming Fist because we can't get around that part. Mm-hmm. So tell me why. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a good thing to ask. And, and if you want to, you can just leverage the dark secret. Mm-hmm. In fact, you can just go right with that because um, there's a guy named Zaj. He's the guy that is drafting you. Mm-hmm. And he's a Flaming Fist captain. Captain, right? Mm-hmm. Pretty sure. Yep. Um, yeah, Captain Zaj. And if he knows your dark secret, then he can just leverage that against you. Yeah. Um, that's the quick and easy way. Really, I would prefer just to ask the players, like, why don't you tell me why you're being drafted by the Flaming Fist? Mm-hmm. Yep, and, and that's a great thing to tie in that dark secret. Get that out there right away, right? Make use of that, and you will continue to use it throughout the adventure, but start early and and do it often. Mm-hmm, I agree. Um, you want to say anything else about like Zaj? I do. So you know, the first thing the first thing we we hear about Zaj is his description, where it says, you know, oh, I don't know the exact alignment, but it's evil, right? He's he's lawful evil, right? I'm pretty he, sure. he he is described as you you meet go meet Captain Zaj, you know, comma lawful evil human whatever. Yeah. Um, Let's just let's not worry about alignment in this in this adventure. You know, it's it's something that Chris and I have talked about a lot. That it's kind of an old and outdated piece of game hardware. Um, you know, if if your characters are going to, or you as the DM are going to fixate on alignment in this adventure, you're not going to get very far. It gives a great description of Captain Zaj. It tells. You know what he wants, where he's come from, where he wants to go. It's it's a it's a beautiful description of an NPC, one of the best I've seen in third ed- or fifth edition so far. Don't ruin it by just fixating on lawful evil. Everything that you need to role play this character is laid out for you so nicely that that is that is a piece of information that's highly irrelevant, as far as I'm concerned. It is. Uh, his his motivations are very clear. Um, his the way that he operates is very clear. Mm-hmm. Um, it all it all fits in that lawful evil s- uh, situation. Right. But but don't don't worry about the idea. Like alignments have a wide like you might have an alignment on something, but it has a wide scope for what could encompass that alignment. Mm-hmm. And honestly, there's a lot of people in this adventure that you are dealing with that you might need to work with. Mm-hmm. That are evil. Yes. So just get over the idea of alignment. I think that's the best yeah. thing to go. There's just a lot of duplicitous people. It's Baldur's Gate. Right. And and, and then it's hell. Yep. <laughs> so not only are you going to be working with a lot of evil people in Baldur's Gate, you're going to be working with a lot of evil people at hell. So, so don't play any characters that are just like, I'm not working with them because they're evil. Yeah. Because guess what? It won't work. Exactly. This is not the this is not a black and white mm-hmm. situation. Yeah. So you know, all with all of that said, then. I, I like this intro. Um, if if you know, we've had the the box text discussion of should we have box text? Shouldn't we? What should it be? We've had adventures from Wizards of the Coast with almost no box text. Um, the Dungeon of the Mad Mage. Now we've got a an opening scene with almost a full column of box text. Where I actually like it. Yeah, me too. Um, it's. Uh, it, it's good. It has a lot of information. Um, you may need to reiterate some of it. You may need to let the, the players make some checks to know 
about the names that are being dropped because they're dropping names like the Hellriders and they're dropping the name of El Torel and the Companion and all that stuff. So it's a neat introduction. Um, but then once you get through that, take the time out and unpack it all. Yeah, this is the opening camera shot of a movie. Mm-hmm. That's what they wrote here. Right. It's really neat that way. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I feel like if you are the performative kind of game master, dungeon master, then this is a thing that you can you should practice a few times, and you can really chew up some some scenery with this thing, and then like really give the players a good um, intro to the city. Mm-hmm. Yep. Oh, uh, that's that's my uh, my spin on it. Like this is very much. I would suggest practicing it a few times, mm-hmm. reading through it out loud a few times to hear yourself read it out loud. That really helps a lot. Yep. Um, but there you go. Uh, there's no wiggle room in the instructions that you get. There, that right. You're exactly right. The uh, the instructions that you get from Zaj are: go to this tavern and meet this person. Do it now. I will be here waiting for you. Yeah. Uh, and and in per in in pursuit of stopping a cult. I think he tells you about the cult, doesn't he? Yeah, well, he just tells you about to stop the murders. Right. Stop these murders. There's a bunch of murders. This person knows about them. Yep. That that's what you get. Yep. Then and go. And if you you can go do whatever you want after that, but if you don't do what you're supposed to do, you get squads of flaming fist people sent after you. Yeah, and not in a not in a nice way. No, um, no, it's that's not good. So again, it's that this is the game that we're gonna be playing, so um, you know, as a DM, be up front with them. Let them know that this is not a. He's not asking. He's telling. Um, yes. This this you, isn't this isn't a please. This is a. I'm ordering you. Yep. I mean, you have essentially been conscripted. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that's all I've got to say. So, what the instructions he gives you are: go to the Elf Song Tavern, and meet with a shadowy sort of character. Named Tarina. Exactly. And, and, yeah. Then we get to go to the Elf Song Tavern, mm-hmm. which is really fun. It is. So, um, the Elf Song Tavern, you want, you want, why don't you start? Like, there's a, a bunch of stuff going on here. Um, yep. And I th- you started writing the notes for this little part, so I want you to start. It's true. A uh, You go to the Elf Song Tavern, and you fu- you figure out pretty quickly, or you should figure out pretty quickly as the player, that it is a place full of cutthroats um, yep. you don't survive long in there unless you either a mind your own business or b be very strong so the first thing that you do is you get a nice little description of the tavern and some of the people in it uh, there's a neat map showing both levels of the tavern and you hear the elf song which is what the tavern is named after and for decades, this same song is sung at random intervals by this ghostly spirit in the tavern. However, people freak out because the next time this, a song is sung, it is a different song. It is a song about Elturel. And so this is a really neat way of getting um, the, another nod to the story of Elturel, of Eltergard, and what what it's all about, what happened to it, um, rather than just pure exposition. Yeah, it, it's great. And if you're performative and you like to sing, mm-hmm. 
figure it out and sing it. Sing a, sing a melancholy song. Yep. The the description given uh, the, of the tavern locations a little superfluous, I would say. Um, There's a bunch of superfluous stuff in this adventure so far that I've read. Yeah, I mean, it, it talks about like every private dining room and el- storage alcove and and so on. Um, now that makes this book useful in other places. True. Like, well, you just have a tavern that you can use in any game that you want. Yep. But so not yeah. probably not important. Um, I'm going to talk a little bit about more about that later. Um, the the thing that you need to know is that. You want to find Tarina. So if you go in, you'll get a description of maybe some of the people, some of the NPCs, um, DMs. Make sure you give a description of the, the NPCs that are hanging around because they are going to become pretty important pretty quickly uh, in this adventure. Uh, which ones? Uh, any of them. <laughs> and I will explain why in a minute. You mean like like Layla Stout and Skrullder Fane and Orlok Mitworth or Whitmerth? Yep. Like those ones? Yep. Yep. All, anybody oh. at the bar. It says, you know, among the dozens of patrons, um, they f- notice a few rats screwing around, plus the following noteworthy NPCs who play no part in the adventure but can be brought into the story as you see fit. Ah, I see where you're going with this. Yes. And then they talk about there's a commoner, a spy, another commoner, a thug, an acolyte, and a druid. And they all have stat blocks. They all- they all have well right. in D D Beyond. They all have stat right. blocks. They're all uh, they're all ones that you could pull out and run, and you might need to. So that's why I suggest DMs make a make a note of them. So I really love um, these NPC descriptions mm-hmm. because they're so short. Yes, yet they're still really I could play characters off of right. them. Right, they they're a great jumping off point for a character. Yep. For instance, a Skrulldar uh, d- Fane. I will. I will. I have some issue with some naming conventions sometimes. Like, man, I, I hate fantasy names sometimes. Yep. <laughs> um, but uh, Skrulldar Fane, a neutral human commoner, is a punch drunk shipwright with no eyebrows. Yep. So Ra- I mean, that's a great description. Yeah, right I mean, there. S- same thing here. Rahimra Sajarasa is a lawful neutral human acolyte of Savras, god of divination and fate. A gregarious astrologer who loves to gamble. Right? Boom. Like, that's somebody who loves to talk and loves to gamble. Yep. And is kind of loud and, and uh, boisterous. Yep. And is about fate and astrology. Uh-huh. Boom. I mean, all of them are like that. A snooty apothecary wearing a colorful cape. Boom. So cute. Yep. So cute. Um, so you get that information. You get through all the tavern location descriptions, which may or may not come into play. And then finally you get to the dealing with Tarina. Uh, part of the adventure, which is really what you came here for. Yes. So you get a description of her and what she requires of you in order to give the information that you're asking. Yeah. There's like one other thing that's important about this um, okay. bar, mm-hmm. and that's the, the two bouncers. Mm-hmm. True. Because they won't do anything unless the patrons get hurt. Right. Like if a fight breaks out, and there are people that are the staff gets attacked. Right. That's what it is. The staff. The staff, right? If, if the staff gets attacked, then the uh, the the bouncers get involved. Right. That that'll be important. Yes, it will. Um, other than that, you're right. Like, there's really not much else that's important about about the stuff that's in the bar. Except it's a really neat bar. Yeah, and I will I will say the the one thing I was going to save till the end of this little part, but I'll say it now since it's in that description. You know, there mm-hmm. there is one of the guest rooms 
it goes into a detailed description of the person in it. Uh, she is a Sahuagin priestess. She wears a cloak made of fishing nets, speaks common in Sahuagin. She was exiled. She keeps to herself. There's a tub in, that's filled with brackish water that she goes into when she needs to. You know, there's all this stuff. There's the treasure that's in her room. But it doesn't give any connection to the adventure, either now or later, for her. Yeah, it's just, it's just a thing that's there, right? And don't waste that opportunity, you know? You've made this great character, especially with what's coming. Um, make her useful. Give ways for the DM to bring her into the adventure more um, in in some way other than, you know, a DM can always do it on their own. But as the writer, give them give them options. Yeah, but they didn't. Uh -huh. And so that's just, it's a wasted opportunity. And it's not bad, right? The description's awesome. The story behind it's awesome. Mm -hmm. um, the description of the room is great. Treasure that she has is great. Um, you know, there's four lines given to just the treasure, vividly describing where it is and what it is and what it looks like. Um, where give me two lines of that and two lines of how do I use this NPC? Yeah, right. That would be that would have been great. Where's the hook? Yep, right. Yep. So th that said, we'll we'll go on to Tarina. Yes, let's talk about Tarina. So. Tarina is not a uh, good person no. because there's nobody that's really a good person in this adventure. Not really. And they will help the Tarina will help the character, but only if they the characters help her with her little problem, mm -hmm. which is uh, she, her real name's not Tarina, and her previous name isn't actually uh, her previous name is Rhonda Thunderbell, but that's also not her real name. Mm -hmm. that's and funny. she was serving under a captain who uh, she stole a bunch of loot from. Mm -hmm. That captain and a bunch of pirates on a ship. And the pirates that, after they uh, mutinied, are not very happy with him. They're coming to kill her. Yep. Or at least get, her money, get their money back. True. So, um, she's like, eh, if you, uh, you know, keep the pirates from killing me, I'll uh, tell you what you want to know. Yeah. What she doesn't tell the characters, most likely, is that like, these pirates can pretty much whoop their asses. I mean, maybe. Yeah. I think maybe. Uh, so let's break down the numbers, shall we, Chris? I mean, we can. Yes, I would love to. The, which which, uh, which encounter uh, construction thing are you using? Uh, I was using the one that they use in D&D uh, &D Beyond. Really? Because I just went right to um, Xanathar's. Okay. And did the math from that. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you can do it. You can do it either way. I Did, did you come up with the same number I did? Oh, no, not at all. Okay. Because the... Um, you have like over 1,500 experience points, and I only got to, uh, what was, uh, there's there's seven bandits and the 25, there's seven, boy, thugs. Uh, there's seven, a bandit uh, captain, five bandits, plus two bandits that wait outside. Yes, so the seven bandits, if we're going to count all of them, they're yep. only worth 25 experience points each. Yeah, but you're not putting in any multipliers. Uh, because the multipliers got taken out in Xanathar's. That is, that is true. Um, and it's, it's still not a fair fight, but the experience point right. total is, uh, something like 450 plus another, um, yeah, it, 150. It's like 600. Right. I think it came out to 650 if you don't add the, the, um, other two. If you don't add, no, if you don't modify it for numbers. Oh, okay. And that, that sounds about right. Let's step back and talk about that, right? Yeah. So if you go by the player, uh, the Dungeon Master's Guide, this is over. Uh, 1,500 
experience points worth of encounter if you use the multiplier. If you don't use the multiplier, it's 650 or 600 or around there. So it's it's not only that, but the uh, the bandit captain's off the chart. Like, it's not a thing that you're supposed to utilize for a first level party. Anything that's of CR2. Is it does you know how they have that number of yep. like if you have X amount of characters, right. you should have X amount of characters of CR wh- whatever to, right. to match them. Right. That that doesn't work in this at all. Yeah. So basically, Chris and I are, are arguing numbers. This is a hard, hard combat. No matter how you figure it, uh, really, they should die. Yes, if it was a straight up fight. Yep. But it's not exactly a straight up fight because Tarina's on your side too. Tarina is. Um, you know, when I was eyeballing this, and from I've run a lot of first-level characters. I've written a lot of first-level adventures. I've TPK'd parties of five first-level characters run by experienced players with four goblins. Well, yeah, because on, at first on, level, it's really swingy. Right, on more than one occasion. So having five bandits plus a bandit captain, um, you know, leaving the two outside to not even come in, that's... Uh, and Tarina is is not strong herself. She's a bandit. Well, she she's a bandit. She'll she'll uh, 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 take up one of the bandits. Right. It, it, assuming she doesn't just run away um, when the character I, when they when I the, would I would say that you don't have her run away, uh, Dungeon Masters, because yeah. you know her her her. In my opinion, right. her ideal idea is that the characters are her last hope for surviving this thing. True. This is very true too. Um, so. When all when all of this is said and done, whatever the numbers we come up with, it's tough. So here's what you should do, DMs. You should have Tarina make sure the characters understand that these are some rough customers. That's a good um, tip. You should that what hopefully that will do is allow the players and their characters to set up the parameters of the meeting rather than just having it happen at some random place. They can maybe set up some traps, maybe set up something that where they can spill oil on on the bad guys and light it. You know, something that will give them a little bit of an edge. Yeah, set up a table that they can flip at the beginning to get a, get advantage on their first round of whatever. Right. Um, uh, maybe bribe somebody that's in the in the crowd to help them. Yep. And so that's why I bring up this the NPCs will become important. Because if they start bringing some of the NPCs into the battle, then that evens things out a little bit. You know, having the druid um, cast some healing spells on them if they fall, or the acolyte doing the same thing could be mm-hmm. huge. Uh, having the half-orc thug get involved on their side. Now, they may have to pay a price for that. At first level, I don't know how much money they have, but they hopefully will have something to offer whether it's just a persuasion check or something more to get these NPCs in on their side so if you don't want to do any of that and you're just worried about kind of like adjusting this encounter a little bit to make it a little bit easier on the characters the big problem is um, Deadeye mm-hmm. he's the he's the bandit captain yep. bandit captain has multi-attack mm-hmm. and it gets two scimitar attacks and a dagger attack and that can just be devastating and deadly to a a first level party. Yes. Also has 65 hit points. So your attrition is like problematic. Now, I mean, if you have a wizard that can, you know, uh, lock them down for a round or two, mm-hmm. that like takes away a lot of stuff. Right. But, you know, that's not always the case 
in D&D, right? You never know what you're going to get. Right. So if you want to just ease up on him a little bit, I would suggest knocking 20 hit points off of him, dropping him down to 45, mm-hmm. and then taking away one of his scimitar attacks from his multi-attack. Yep. Then he is still deadly and can still knock characters down. Right. But probably isn't going to knock out half the party in one round. Yep. Um, that's just, that, that is my, uh, my suggestion for that. Yeah. So as you can tell, we think this is a tough encounter. It's hard. We think first level characters would probably not survive it if it was a straight up fight. Uh, they probably won't. Yep. So keep that in mind as you're DMing it, give them options either ahead of time or during the battle to get help. Um, for me, it's always better beforehand. You know, if they know this is coming, let them feel smart. Let them feel capable. Let the characters do something um, to help themselves rather than throwing in some outside help. Mm-hmm. And don't give them an infinite amount of time to do that either. Otherwise, you can get bogged down. Yep. Make it sort of a time-pressured situation like, well, you better hurry up and figure out what you're going to do because, you know, you mm-hmm. never know when these folks are going to walk in here. Yep. So uh, if they survive, which, you know, give them a chance to survive, because, mm-hmm. you know, otherwise the adventure will stall out as they're trying to find the next uh, the next person. Right. Or find the, ne- the, like, the next person in their party. Um, they get to go off to a bathhouse because that's where Tarina sends them, to a bathhouse. Yep. And they're level two if they survive this uh, combat. Yeah, they are. So also, even if Tarina dies... It's not a big deal because you can just bring her to Zaj and Zaj will cast Speak with Dead on the corpse. Yeah. I mean, there, there, oh. there's always the, the shortcut. Right. <laughs> uh-huh. Just in case you're worried. Like, you can leave Tree in there. She can get murdered. It's cool. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a, there's a way around that. Yep. Yay magic, right? Mm-hmm. All right. Let's talk about um, a, a, a solid chunk, at least, of this, uh, this first part of the adventure, which is the Dungeon of the Dead 3. Mm-hmm. Can I just say that I think this adventure is trying to kill characters? It's it's hard to not kill characters at low level, and it's hard to kill characters at high level. And this adventure is definitely not afraid to throw a lot at characters at a very low level. I feel like this isn't the um, the kind of dungeon that you walk into and then just stay in there and finish it. No, not not a chance. This is a you go in and then you do stuff and then you leave and then you come back. Yep. Well, anyway, let, let's let's get us to the dungeon first. So Marina, yeah, so- Marina gives you, or Tarina, sorry, gives you the information that there's a cult that is murdering people, and yep. this cult is um, stationed that it's headquartered at this bathhouse. So, mm-hmm. so off you go to the bathhouse, and beneath the bathhouse is this dungeon, the dungeon of the dead three that we are talking about. So, who are the dead three, Sean? The dead three. Christopher, I'm glad you asked, are Bane, Merkel, and Baal, um, the three death gods. I know those guys. Yeah. And the, the, the weird thing is there is a, you know, there is a whole sidebar or a whole section that says, you know, who are the dead three? And it's, it's strange. I started reading this and my, my brain was like, I, I, I can't comprehend what they're saying here. I'm going to read a little bit of it. The sure. dead three are evil adventurers named Bane, Baal, and Merkel. And I was like, they're, they're, they're evil adventurers? I thought they were gods. Did, are there adventurers that are calling themselves that? And then I, then it continued, who long ago quested. I'm like, oh, oh, so they were evil adventurers. 
Now they're okay. That makes sense. So it's it's funny how just like one verb tense can like blow blow someone's understanding. Mm-hmm. Um, so you just that's just a small thing I saw. And then they give the the tale of these three, um, a kind of shortened version. Um, so oh, it's the it's the short short version. Yeah. So basically, they're, they're three death gods. Yay. Um, so these there are cults to each of them, and all of these cults are now working together in um, in Baldur's Gate to bring people down, to kill people. Um, but they're being paid to do this. They're being supported by one of the dukes who wants the... Um, to be the Grand Duke. Well, she wants to be the Grand Duke, but she wants the Flaming Fist to basically become... They, she wants the people to revolt against the Flaming Fist when yep. there's so many murders that they realize the Flaming Fist can't save everyone. Yep, because they're useless. Yeah. So that's the whole scheme here. And so as you, as the player, go through this dungeon, you begin to learn these things. Yeah, not not till towards the end. Really. Exactly. Um, so the bathhouse is, is about four rooms. And then the rest of the dungeon is another 29 rooms, I think. I think I'm doing my math there. Uh, there 33 there, total minus 4 is 29. Correct. Okay, yep. cool. So the first thing I did, I, I looked at the map. And it's it's a nice uh, Dyson Lagos map. Which, yeah, it's small. Which I, I mean, the, the rooms are small. Yeah, which I like. The rooms are small. But I see 33 rooms, including the bathhouse. And I was like, whew, a second-level dungeon with 33 rooms. This is not going to go well. Well, Sean, they do a little something that, that you generally don't ap- appreciate. Like, mm-hmm. they just use some rooms with nothing really happening. Right. And, and Except for flavor. Right. And and as I read it, I was actually like, okay, yeah, I like this. I, I think this is cool. I think this is I think this is okay. It's I'm, I'm having a, an existential crisis as I'm writing about um, for D and D Beyond, writing about adventure design, mm-hmm. and, and I'm on the part now that I'm writing about. I'm a few uh, articles ahead, so I'm writing yeah. about encounter design, and I'm writing about exploration encounters specifically. And so I'm going back and forth on how adventures and how, especially dungeons like this, can be done to to make everyone happy. You know, the people that love to draw maps and the people that love to explore every five-foot square versus the people that just want to get to the good stuff. They don't want all of this extra exploration that that doesn't give them what they want in the game. Well, this dungeon's excellently paced. It, and and it, that's true. And so this is – I'm glad I read this dungeon at this time because mm-hmm. I, I was able to appreciate the fact that there are rooms with nothing and it's still okay. And there's almost hardly ever a room that just has nothing. Mm-hmm. There's always something that's that's flavorful about the room, like a little something in there. Right. Like like there's a room that has a dead body in it that's been stabbed in the back multiple times. Yep. It's like you don't know the story, but there certainly is a story behind that. Yeah, that, that's true. And and so this is where this this existential crisis hit me. I'm like, this is a great description. the The adventure itself tells the DM. Hey, this was a cultist. He showed mercy to someone who they had attacked. So the rest of the cultists killed him and left him floating here. And I was like, that's so cool. How do the players know? 
They don't. And that leads to something that Chris Perkins said a while ago, Mm -hmm. um, like a few years ago. Sometimes when he was writing, and I don't necessarily disagree with this because this is a book that is being published, right? Mm -hmm. Sometimes you write an adventure for the DM to read, Mm -hmm. to enjoy the reading of it. And not not everything in there needs to be just for the players. This is very true. I I would not... I, I love writing stuff that makes the that is for the DM only. Mm-hmm. Um, I just want, if there is an easy way to get the players involved, then do it. Yeah. I don't think there is an easy way for the players to get involved with that. It's sort of like the Sahagwan priestess. Like that's really neat. I was thinking about it. I have no idea how to get that character involved in what's going on here. Right. Um, Yeah. It's like not not easily like that's what I mean. Like we're talking about easy, right? Like if it doesn't occur to me in five seconds mm-hmm. to connect it to anything else I've read, then it's not easy. See, for for me, it's not that hard though. For me, it's first of all, put tattoos on the on the corpse that make them a cultist. The rest of the cultists also have similar tattoos. Okay, so okay. you know he's a cultist, or you learn that he is. Um, through, as you go through the adventure, the weapon that killed him, make it be the weapon of one of the leaders of the cult. Um, and if there's actually a, a leader with a very specific weapon, um, th- do those two things. Yeah. Then, then it connects to that later. Right. If it, they remember. And, and yeah. And so, you know, maybe, you know, when, when they, when that weapon hits someone, it burns them as well. Mm-hmm. So, they find this weapon mark with also a burn mark. Um, basically, you know, uh, what do you call it? When you're branding this person as well. Uh, you don't know what it is now, but then when you come across that later, you're like, oh, yeah, that, that's what happened. Okay. So in the writing, I totally agree with you. Yeah. But in the me running this game, like just looking at that, I, I would never have thought to make that, that connection. Right. And. You know, it's just it's it's just something that, as as I'm writing an adventure, I want to try to do, and sometimes I fail miserably, and it helps that I didn't write it because then I can see that. Um, but it's just something I I think about as I read adventures. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay. I, I get it. I am. Um... I mean, I'm always going to defer to your your uh, your opinion on this stuff over mine because and, you've done a lot more of it than me. Yeah, I I don't necessarily 100% agree with it. I think it's a good idea. Like I uh, I just don't know. Did it need to be there? But then again, there's a lot of stuff in this adventure that didn't need to be there. And, so and and I think one of the reasons why now that I think about it even more is because it's such a great point. It's it's one of those unity of effect things that would be highlighted if you could show that is that evil kills evil in this adventure, right? Yeah. Evil See, is that fighting, would be good. Evil is fighting evil all the time. You're, you're absolutely right. I, I, you know, that was one of the things I had a problem with th- this dungeon, like as that unity of effect idea, like there's a lot of elements that like fit that dead three feel to it, mm-hmm. but it feels a little shallow. Yeah. Something like that would have made it feel more, I don't know, th- like it would have would have like uh, thickened up the sauce, basically. Right, because the last encounter in this whole adventure is pretty much that, right? Evil fighting evil. Yeah. And if you get that feeling going in, if if that is even on a subconscious level, it helps that last encounter work. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
anyway, I, we need to buzz through this. So yeah, otherwise we're going to be here forever. Here we go. Um, we're already at forty-two minutes. <laughs> okay, uh, let me let me see what some of the highlights are that I wanted to point out. Well, um, let's talk about this real quick. Okay. The, there are low ceilings in this dungeon, yep. and that needs to be highlighted. Mm-hmm. Um, because if you're somebody's using a huge weapon, like the ceiling's only eight feet tall and nine feet tall in most places, mm-hmm. that that should actually affect what's going on with with swinging weapons around. Mm-hmm. And I think people don't think about that. Yeah. Um, this is not a not a very big place. Sure. Um, there are also beams in areas. And like uh, cross beams that can be destroyed that cause cave collapses. Mm-hmm. This is also important because uh, there are some encounters that actually take that into account. Yep. Um, the uh, the other thing with that, the other thing is that it's dark down here. Mm-hmm. We talked about torches last time, remember, yep. Sean? Yep. Like torches matter. Like light sources matter a lot in this adventure Very because much of how so. <laughs> how certain guards are and where certain things are and what's what happens at certain pl- at times in this adventure. Yep. So, so those are three things to really think yeah, about. Yeah. If someone's using a torch rather than say a light spell or all dark vision in this adventure, you need to make note of that because boom is coming. There's up. a there's a boom part. Yep. Yeah. Also, there's a part where a guard can notice you with a torch. Yep. And it matters a lot. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we're talking about details and having details make a difference. The, mm-hmm. the very next encounter after you see the corpse, there there is a sh- uh, there is an altar. And it says right in the adventure, if a character dumps holy water on the altar, um, it dissolves. The, the altar starts to smoke. Right. And, and the and, entrails that are on them melt away. Right. And I was like, that's a great detail. Make it make it work. Make it more. Um Make exploration mean something. Yeah, it would have been better if they would have gotten some sort of boon for doing that. Right, exactly. Boon or or bad. You know, I, what I would do is say, hey, you dumped that on there. Good job. Make a charisma save with advantage. If you fail the charisma save, uh, you're affected by a Bane spell for the next combat or next three combats. If you make the save, then you have a blast for the next three combats. Yeah, there you go. You know, make it mean something. I'm with you. I was thinking the same thing. Cool. So, you know, awesome. Um, the moldy tapestry is terrible. There's yellow mold on it. Don't touch it. Yeah. Yeah. Within a 10 foot cube, if they touch this tapestry that has mold on it, they take at average 11 points of poison damage. Well, they get to save first. Well, if there's a saving throw, a DC 15 con save. At I mean, it's level. hard, yeah. but you know, but then also it, they, then they, they don't have to touch the, um, they don't have to touch the tapestry. Right. <laughs> yeah. I'm just saying, just throwing it out there. Yeah. And, but the problem is if they fail their save, they take that damage and then, at the start of each of your turns, you take another D10 damage until you save. Oh, no, you're dead. You're going to die. That's yeah. a kill you trap. Yeah. Just throwing it out there. It's it's nasty. Um, There's a... Uh, an, then there's a three... There's the dead three doors. That's actually the split for the dungeon. There's a bunch of different ways you can go. Yep. Um, But then that leads to the different areas where, where there's the ball, the bane, and the... Uh, the Merkel, Merkel side, yep. Merkel sides. So um, there's a really fun encounter with a bunch of uh, cultists that are lying on the floor, being pretending to be dead. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's really fun. Th- th- they're lying in like a ritual pattern to try to fool you into thinking they're dead and we're part of uh-huh. some ritual. So and, good. And what I would do, it, the, the adventure says, have them jump up when the characters enter the room or in, if they're attacked. No, 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 no. Have them lay there until the characters go all the way through and leave the room. Yeah. Then have them jump up and attack the last person who leaves. Or if they go over to stab one one of them. Right, then. right, exactly. But, you know, make it different. Make it make it something that you wouldn't expect. I didn't notice that some of the stab blocks have the spell most likely to be used. Yeah. Yes. Really? Yep. 
uh, in, in some of the stat blocks at the end of the adventure, I noticed that while I was flipping back to look at the new monsters that you're you're encountering here, um, some of them have like one, two, or three of the spells if they're spellcasters that they're most likely to use. So you don't have uh, to flip okay. to the don't have to flip to the um, player's handbook, which is very nice. Uh, so there's a partially collapsed crypts in there. They have spells as treasure, like a bunch of spell books as treasure. I really like that. It's mm-hmm. good stuff. Yep. Um, okay. There's Bane's altar. This one made me laugh because this there's a tough encounter here, right? Like mm-hmm. the fist of Bane, the Iron Console. There and they're really described well, right? Like yeah. this is a this is a woman and a man, and um, like one of them has like a, a, a fresh painted skull and blood on their shield, mm-hmm. and the other one's wearing like the uh, a, a, a Bane helm on their head. Mm-hmm. And then you fight them, and then you kill them, hopefully. And there's like somebody that was being tortured there, uh, and his name is Clint Jasso, mm-hmm. but. After that, you can um, mess around and try to like take take the uh, stuff from the from the suit of armor the, that's part of the the, the altar. There's like a yep. spear that you can grab. I think that, no, there's not a spear. That's that's a different place. Uh, anyways, if you mess with that though, the gauntlets come off and act as flying swords. Yep. <laughs> and I was like, what? <laughs> yeah. So not only did you just fight this really tough battle, if you survived, and you're like, oh, I checked the armor, see if it's magical. Well, the gauntlets fly off and begin to ki- begin to kill you. Mm-hmm. It's it's a rough, rough, rough dungeon. Yeah, well, and let's let's move on mm-hmm. because then you get to the morgue, which oh. is where uh, Flennis is, who is it, the highest ranking member of the the Mer- Mercule in the in the Merkel in the dungeon, mm-hmm. and they're a master of souls, so they they're pretty tough themselves, and they have a swarm of rats, um, and that yeah. swarm of rats is an undead swarm of rats. And let me tell you, swarms aren't nice. Yeah. Well, you know what else is not nice, Chris? A uh, CR4 spellcaster that can cast Fireball twice when you are second level. Yeah, right? Um, because I, I don't know if you know this, Chris, but Fireballs, if you fail your save, do 28 points of damage a, a lot of A lot of damage. And, and a lot of even damage. if you make it, that's 14 points of damage, and she can do it twice, and the room's big enough. Where she could like move to the corner and do that, mm-hmm. um, and guess what? Guess what is holding the roof up? Uh, one of those those pillars. Yeah. Well, I was like, guess what happens so when they take fire damage? They collapse, yeah. Sean. They collapse, it's, and then you get a bunch of rock dropped on your head. Yeah, for a lot more damage. Um, boy, this is a rough dungeon. You, as the DM, you're, you're going to have to be very careful. You're going to have to work to keep your party alive. Um, so. Give them chances to see things ahead of time. Give them chances to heal themselves. Um, give them rests because they're going to need all of it. I mean, you, they could leave and be level three before the dungeon's over. Mm, yeah. Like, there's a lot of experience points in this dungeon. Yeah, just it's, it's true. It's true. At any point, I, you could have them level up to three because they might need it. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a nice little spot after that, uh, D14. Uh, where there's a, a a rat that you could talk to. Yep, that's fun. There's a oh my god D16. There's a, a spiritual <laughs> weapon trap right. in here. Like you go and you try to like there's a, it's it's a it's a place that's filled with water. And there's an open stone sarcophagus. And if you go grab in there for treasure and things like that, mm-hmm. there's a there's a, a spiritual weapon pops up that looks like a battle axe, and you can't do anything about it. You just have to run away. Yeah, it 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 hits you like a spiritual weapon would. And then you attack it, and you can't affect it. And then it hits you, and then you may try to do something else. And then it hits you more. And until you leave the room, 
it keeps hitting you. Uh-huh. Uh, I, as, as someone, again, thinking about exploration-type encounters, uh, I, want, I want to up the stakes here. I want to make this... I want to give the characters a reason to have to stay, but give them a way to get rid of this effect other than combat. Mm-hmm. Um, D-17 is Mer- Mer- Merkel's altar. Mm-hmm. So... This is kind of fun because there's a uh, th- there's some writing on the wall and it says rise and be counted. Mm-hmm. And if you speak it out loud within five feet of the altar, you basically raise up three animated skeletons that will serve you. Yep. And now, Sean's going to talk about how this is uh, there's, there needs to be context. To this. Right. So it's it's really cool. I'm going to add the one little element you missed. There are candles that are unlit. In the room. That's true. And so yep. when you light the candle, then you see the message. And if you speak the message, you, the skeletons rise up. So if I'm a player, as a player, I'm an instigator. I I don't care if my character dies. I just, I'm going to do the thing to trigger because I want to see what happens. Uh, but there are a lot of players who are not like that. They want to know what what they're doing before they do it. And so this is one of those times where this encounter is so cool and you do it and you get these three skeletons that serve you. And that's so cool, but give a little context, give, give a DC 10 religion check to realize that with the configuration of the candles and that word, what will happen when you speak it is this, and then you can go ahead and do it without trepidation. Now it's it's not assured that you're going to make that check. But at least you have a way of getting some more information. So this, to me, is a... They wrote an old-school encounter here. Yep. Like, all right, here's some stuff. Mess around with it, and you'll get the get the reward. Right. But if you don't, it's not going to stop you from pr- proceeding forward. Right. And so, so what, I mean, as, as a DM, if I'm running this, I'm just going to add what I said myself, mm-hmm. um, depending on my players. Some, yeah, of, it, some, it, some of my it, players are just going to do it, and that's fine. Yeah, a lot of this stuff is really about play style, right? Like, yep. we're... We are definitely talking about the playstyle where you can add in like um, things so that the characters can access more stuff and survive. Mm-hmm. You do not have to play this adventure that way if you don't want to. Right. You know, if if you want to play it the other way, just understand that there's going to probably be a much higher death rate, and you're going to be having people make more characters over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. Which is okay if that's what you're looking for. Yep. But that is that is the way this adventure is written, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Yeah. So just uh, be be aware of that. That is the that is the play style that this adventure is going for. Something that's pretty much very brutal and kind of a grinder, mm-hmm. for sure. Um, because because the next encounter is the gas buildup. Mm-hmm. But this this at least has the check that you're talking about, Sean. Like, right. oh, you get to make a check before you die. Yeah. Because because I, I I just I need to talk about this. Yep. So it smells like like rotten eggs. Uh, sort of like sulfur, mm-hmm. right? Like, I mean, that's that's fun because that's that's unity of effect stuff that they're they're right. playing for later. But really, it's gas and it's flammable gas. So if you walk in there with a torch, it's going to explode mm-hmm. and it's going to do four d six fire damage mm-hmm. if you if you uh you know don't succeed in a DC fifteen saving throw. Um, and half as much on a successful one, so you're you're just taking damage. Mm-hmm. For walking in here with a torch. It's bad. Like, this is... the 14 hit points is a lot of hit points for a second-level character. And then, of course, there's the beams that are holding the roof up. And that'll collapse then, and yeah. that does damage also. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, like... Okay. 
That's that that that'll kill you. You'll die. Yeah, there's a lot of damage to be had here. And but what's awesome about this is since in the exploration sense of encounters, since you gave them that check, they can realize this. They can extinguish their torch before they get there, and it's now true. they have a resource they can later use. They That's can lure true. someone here and make the dungeon easier rather than harder. So in that sense, I love the the design. Y'all, y'all out there listening in listener land, I'm going to tell you about an anime that you should all go watch. Um, it's not for the faint of heart, but it will show you how to fight like a D&D adventurer should be fighting. It's called Goblin Slayer. It is a character that is constantly using the environment to their advantage to kill things. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, uh, it's It's got some questionable content in it, but... Uh, because the monsters are really terrible, but go watch it. You'll learn a lot about how to actually, like, you know, fight in a dungeon. Yep. Like, what you should actually be doing. There you go. I mean, they essentially cast a sleep spell to put, like, 50 golems to, to, to sleep and then just kill them all. Mm-hmm. Like, that's how you're supposed to fight things. Because <laughs> nobody actually wants to fight anything. Like, it's a terrible idea. Just throwing it out there, Sean. It's, just throwing it out it's, there. It's true. Anyways, uh, the reason I say that is because that kind of playstyle would work effectively in this dungeon. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is, this is not a nice place. No. Um... The next one to jump to is uh, the D21. There's a, an obligatory zombie encounter. Uh, there's a bunch of zombies behind a door. They'll just try to kill you. Yeah. And, you know, I, I'm fine with just a monster encounter if if that's what it calls for. You know, no big no big to-do needed. It's just a, an encounter. But, again. Hey, and you can avoid it. You don't have to go in there. This is true. This is a side room. Yeah. But, again, as a designer, look for opportunities. Right. You, you have this cult who is taking people, murdering them, turning them into undead. Have the zombies be someone the characters know or recognize. Well, here, let me put this to you, too. Um, in the in the book, the zombies only obey only their creator and attack all others. Mm-hmm. So they are also a resource that you can utilize to fight other things. This is true, if you, if you lure them away. Uh-huh. Yep. That's absolutely and, true. Now, and we all know that zombies aren't that fast. But, Chris... They can characters can only do that if they know the information that the DM is told. That is true. So and uh, that is a thing. There's no check for that here. So exactly, it would probably be worthwhile to to add in a check to understand that, like a religion check of some sort. Yep. Assuming somebody asks, right? Yeah. Or they don't even have to ask. Um, you know, something, some runes on the wall, something with the way the zombies look, or runes on the zombies tell you that. They only serve their master, or they don't serve anyone. I would even go one step further. But anyway, uh, in, there's a torture chamber. It's awful because there's these people are being tortured. And there's like buckets of salt around. They actually rub salt into the wounds. Literally, yeah, Ooh. yeah. I mean, man, um, there is a thing though. There's a woman here named Vendetta. Mm-hmm. It's funny. Her name's Vendetta. Yeah, uh, Vendetta Cress. She's a tiefling. Uh, if you save her. There'll be some really positive effects on the party for that. They, she will spread stories of their heroism, and she also can clue them in on a secret door. Mm-hmm. So saving her is a, a plus positive for you. It's true. And then there's D23 and D25. Yep. Um, this is another one of those places where the torch is really important. Mm-hmm. Because there is a sentry guard that, are, that is on guard with a torch lit, so you can see the torch that they have, or at least the light from their torch. But if you have a torch or some sort of light source, they will also see it. Now, the the encounter here is like, um, they're going to withdraw right away. Once they realize there are characters there that are not like part of the dead three and try to warn the 
four other uh, enemies that are sleeping and wake them up. So it's a really big deal and a big flip and switch and play if that care if that NPC wakes up the other NPCs. So like you have to understand what's going on with your characters and with this character at that time. Mm-hmm. Probably play them a little bit curious. They don't want to just be reactive because they don't want to wake people up for nothing. Um, that's that's how you, you just got to think about that. It's a really fun encounter. I like encounters like no, that. No, it's a lot. it's that's a great it's a great encounter, and as you said, it gives the DM wiggle room to do different things, and gives the players options to handle um, to handle their business in in a different way. Mm-hmm. Uh, the next one that I want to hit is um, D twenty six because there's a there's a a reaper of ball that is covered in blood, and she cast a disguise self spell on herself to look like an old lady mm-hmm. so but she's covered in blood so this is one of those times where like this little old lady is walking around and then all of a sudden there's like bloody footprints behind her or like the flecks of blood behind her or if she brushes against a wall she leaves like a blood stain like a s- simple one because that blood's probably a little bit dried right yep. so that's an interesting encounter to play out there too it is Th- these are tough encounters for me because you just naturally, as a player, don't trust anyone that you find. <laughs> you know, just unless they're like tied down to a table. Um, yeah, yeah, that's if, fair. If, if they're not shackled and they're like, "Oh, I'm a prisoner," you're like, uh, "Okay." So, as the DM, you might want to tweak it a little bit if you want it to become something where the players might be fooled. Uh, but you know, other than that, she if they believe her, she'll go around with them uh, until she gets to a place where she will. Uh, turn on them and you know when it's best for her when she has allies around to to take them out yeah i mean you just have to play up that little old lady angle right yeah like have her in the corner like looking like she can't really move all the way because she's a little old lady and they took her cane yep yeah um all right d29 mm-hmm. this is the this is the sort of not the final encounter but it could be the final encounter like yep. So this is where you run into to Mortlock uh, Vanderthamp. Mm-hmm. So Mortlock is one of uh, ter- uh, what the heck's her name? Duke, the, the Duke. Duke Duke Vanderthamp's uh, yeah. Duke Vanderthamp's kids. I will have these names memorized at some point. I swear. Yeah. Well, it's I just trying the, to. They're so hard to say. Yeah. Um, but Mortlock is one of three kids, the youngest, and Mortlock has been scarred terribly. And Mortlock is a big brute. Um, and his brothers don't like him. And his brothers want him dead. And, uh, you know, the, uh, the, 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 the three uh, decided that maybe uh, we don't need Mortlock to run us anymore because, you know, I mean, we're, we're pretty effective on our own. So, right. yeah, and with a little bit of prodding from the brothers, they try to kill Mortlock. Mm-hmm. And, and you come upon this fight. Yep, the characters get there just as Mortlock is locked in mortal battle. Ah, Mortlock, um, <laughs> with one of the leaders of the Dead Three. And so when you enter, and, and I, I kind of like this, when you enter, it triggers something that it's hard to misrepresent, right? The the guy who was attacking Mortlock runs away. Yep. And Mortlock says, oh, I'm glad you're here. You saved my life. Um, and then he explains everything that's been going on and where the characters need to go next and all of that. And, you know, it's it's very staged, but I don't mind it being staged because it's clear. It it lets the characters know exactly what the situation is, gives them their next step, and then they can really do with Mortlock what they want. 
he that's can, true. He they could take him out right then and there. That's fine, um, as long as they have that information. He could they could just let him go, and he goes away. Or they could use him as a tool in the adventures to come. Yeah, I mean, he'll eventually run off as soon as he gets a chance because he, right. he wants no part of being in the city anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is another one of those situations where it's a really good description of an NPC, right? Like the, yeah, the NPC's motivations are very well laid out. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I noticed they, they, this is one of those places, too, that they have his entire stat block. Mm-hmm. And it's like Sean asked me the question. I was like, I wonder why they actually have his entire stat block. Like, why is the stat block here if you're probably not going to fight him? And then I was like, oh, wait a minute. You could recruit him. Well, it's not for a short period. It's not why do they have his stat block? Because sure, they might fight him, but all the other stat blocks are in the appendix. His is there, right in the encounter, but he's not someone you're likely going to fight. It just seemed weird to me not to put, you know, it seemed like the wrong place to put a stat block. If you're going to put a stat block in the encounter, put it in the encounter where they're going to fight the thing. Does that make sense? Uh, sh- yeah, I get you. Uh, I think I, I mean, it is, it is kind of in the encounter. It's at the very end of it, right? Right. His is. Yeah. Right. Like the one you have to fight is actually in the appendix. Vaz? Yeah. Yeah. Because he's just a generic, um, Lord of whatever he is. Right. Right. He's cause there's, there's, um, he's a, he's a death head of ball. Mm-hmm. Now I think the reason that they did that, Sean, is because there's going to be, there's more than one death head of ball that you could fight. Okay. Not necessarily sense. in this section, but there's a section below yep. this that's dead three encounters because you can have the dead three show up later, like cool. uh, different yeah. members. That makes that makes absolutely perfect sense. Yeah. So that that would be why I would lay it out that way. Mm-hmm. Um. Also, because then Mortlock isn't very far from the encounters that you might need him in. Like he's only a page or two. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's that's cool. I. I accept that would be that my answer. yeah. That would be my my uh, my assumption. Not having the actual hardcover book, right? I have D right. Beyond. Yeah. Um. So then the last the last thing, uh, last couple of things. One, there's some stolen goods and there's some treasure, and that treasure is from Tiamat's Horde. Mm-hmm. And I just, you should note that there is treasure from Tiamat's Horde, because Tiamat is not happy that people stole from her horde. No, she's not. And guess where Tiamat is? Uh, in Avernus? Yeah. Guarding a portal to the yeah. second layer of hell, that's, I think? That's going to become important later. Yeah, that'll be important later. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the final area there is uh, Vaz, the Lord of this Lord of Bones, uh, not Lord of Bones, um, Death Head of Ball. Mm-hmm. There's three statues there. It's their meeting room. Um, the statues all have an effect. Mm-hmm. They're they're interesting effects. Like the one for Bane will make will force you if you fail your saving throw to kneel in front of the statue and not do anything else, which means you're basically uh, a sub- subjected to a hold person spell. Yeah, pretty much. Which means that the the death head of Ball can stab you uh, with impunity mm-hmm. for a lot of damage and kill you. That's true. Uh, and the other ones have effects too that are that are interesting enough. Interesting. Um, Ooh, the Lord of Bones one, the Merkel statue. Yeah, it'll it'll kill you. Uh, if you desecrate the statue, you're cursed. Wither, yeah, there's that. Uh, and until a remove curse spell is cast, you cannot benefit from magical healing. Hence why it'll kill you. Yeah. It's not good, right? No. no. Yeah, the ball statue doesn't actually do anything. Yeah, you, you can take the little mask off it. That's fun, right? Yeah. I can get my Harlequin mask. Why yeah, not? I'm cool with that. Um, You you, you kill Voss if you want. That's fine. He's mm-hmm. not that tough, really. I mean, he's tough enough, but by, by this point in time, like yeah, you've killed you, a bunch of things. If, if you've survived this far... You can take I mean, us. You should be level three, maybe level four by this <laughs> this point. There's been there's no end of experience points to be a, to have gotten. <laughs> yeah. um, 
if you're playing with experience. Uh, and then, and then you're like, cool, we can leave. Yay, we beat the dungeon. And then as soon as you walk out of the dungeon, you get ambushed by a bunch of dragon cultists of Tiamat who want the treasure back. Yeah. And there's nothing <laughs> worse, there's nothing worse as a player than to just get your butt handed to you repeatedly in this dungeon. You somehow manage to make it through. You take the treasure. As you're leaving, some more evil bad guys show up and say, give us the treasure. And you're probably all at, like, one hit point. And, you know, what do you do? Yeah. Um, I it, Actually, you're not supposed to even have a chance to, like, give the treasure back if they show up and you have it. They'll just kill you. This is true. It. Yeah. It doesn't. It's not like they... You know, it says if you have the treasure, they attack you. If you don't have the treasure, they tell you to step aside so they can go get it. By the way, I don't know if they actually mentioned that that treasure has, like, like Tiamat symbolism on it or anything like that. Because, I mean, Tiamat just stole it, right? Like, you don't know that it's Tiamat's treasure. Yeah, I don't think that, that there are some draconic pieces in there um, that, but you might not notice note that unless you know that. It has to do with Tiamat. Yeah. I mean, like, the, that's the only thing. Like, there's nothing that indicates that that treasure is Tiamat's. Yeah. So, you know, have fun with that. I mean, my suggestion is, is like, they ask for it back first. Exactly. Like, give us the treasure and live. Yeah. And and it's, I mean, it's a lot of treasure for second level. I think I added it up to, it's about, like, 500 gold pieces worth of treasure. Um, so it's it's... You know, it's a lot for second level, but it's not like you couldn't live without it. Doesn't it end up being more if you sell some of the other things in there? Um, like the like the crown's like worth two fifty, isn't it? Right, but a lot of it's like pla- or copper. It is, yeah. and then there's a bunch of silver too. Yeah, it's like copper and silver only. There's some there's a hundred and twenty five things... in silver because it's yeah. it's ten for every. I, I added it up at some point, and it came up to like five hundred, okay. six hundred. Um, that makes sense. Yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't. It seems like it's a lot, a lot, but it it's not for second level. It's a lot, but mm-hmm. not outrageous. Yeah, I mean, the, like in just gems in the crown and things like that's like three seventy five, and then you, when you start adding in the silver and the copper, yeah, it, yeah, it only ends up being like five to six hundred, six hundred or something somewhere in there. Yeah, yeah, it's not that much. Um, so it's not a ton. Like you can give it up and not feel too terrible, I suppose. Yep. Plus, you can keep some of the other stuff. They just want the treasure, right? Right. Like, yeah, they just want the stuff. There's no magic in any of that. Well, there is one potion of fire breath. There, there in um, fact, is. Uh, actually, two potions of fire breath uh, in the Tiamat horde. Mm-hmm. But, That's right. The two red crystal vials with right. gold stoppers. Yep. But there's other, there's potions of healing. There's other sorts of treasure along the way that you. Could... I guess they probably want, they probably want all that stuff back, don't they? They probably want it all back. Yeah. I would say they want it all back. I don't know if they'd be big on uh, negotiating either. Yeah, just give me the four chests and you can live. Mm-hmm. You can keep all the stuff from the stolen goods area. Right, exactly. Uh, all right, so that's that. Uh, hopefully by this point in time, Morlock has given you the information to move the adventurer along, which is to yeah. say, you should go kill my brother Amric, or, you know, capture him or whatever. Uh, he's pretty much a jerk, and uh, he's at the Low Lantern, which is a in-tavern-type place. Yep. Um, the player characters at this point, though, know that the Vanthamp pours are the ones that are, you know, behind all this stuff. So they can just go to the Vanthamp per villa if you want and deal with that. Yeah. yeah but uh, but Morlock says, well, if you're going to deal with my mom, she she's pretty tough. You might want to have a bargaining chip like going and capturing my brother. Yeah. If, if you keep him hostage, um, you might have a better chance of, of dealing with her. Since Amrick's the favorite. Yeah. But Morlock just wants to skip town at that point. Yep, but if you can convince him, he will come with you and help 
help with his uh, help with his brother. Mm-hmm. Well, that was an exceptionally long episode of Down with D and D. Yeah, and we were like, "Oh, I don't know if we're going to be able to fill up the whole time." I no, I thought we would fill up the whole time. <laughs> well, we certainly did. I was like, "I don't know if we should do the whole dungeon," but we did. Enjoy. There it is. I hope it's helpful to DMs. Mm-hmm. Um, patrons, to uh, shorten this up a little bit more, we appreciate all of you. We will read Patreon shoutouts next time. Yeah. You are all amazing people, though. Thank you so much for giving us money. Yeah. <laughs> Um, you know, if you'd like to be a patron, you know, I mean, we could just skip the ending, I suppose, this week. Yeah. Thank you all for listening, and we hope you enjoy this show. Um, we're going to try to do the same thing with this whole adventure. Just take it piece by piece. If you, yeah. if you appreciate that, let us know. If you want us to go at this differently, let us know as well. All right. So, Sean, what are we going to do now? We are going to go kill some PCs. Wow, I was thinking Dead Three Cultists, but sure, let's kill some PCs. Yeah, I think there's going to be more PCs than Cultists. You're down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. You're down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. You're down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. You're down with D&D. You're down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. You're down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. I'm down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. You're down with D&D.